We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell. Hi, and welcome to another Money Matters podcast. I'm Laura Suter, and with me is Danny Houston. Hi, Danny. Hi, Laura. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome to our new listeners. Uh, We hope that many of you have had a chance to take a look at our Financial Wobbly Bits research report. It is on our website, ajbellmoneymatters.co.uk, and it's quite an eye-opener, really charting some of those potholes, life moments which make women poorer. In our last episode, we touched on some of those big moments. But one of the things that really caught our eye in the research was the impact of being single, not only on your day-to-day finances, but also on your long-term finances. Yes, single women. And yes, I'm aware, men too, because a lot of what we're going to be talking about today will be just as true for single men. But obviously, we are looking at women's finances. And single women told us they were saving less, putting less into their pensions, And they were just less confident about their future than their married or cohabiting counterparts. And I guess that is kind of understandable because instead of having two pots of money coming into a house, two lots of earnings, there's only one pot and one person having to make all of the decisions. And that does make things quite tricky. And I think probably that's particularly the case when we think of the cost of living crisis at the moment. So your ability to absorb those price rises is less if you are a single person with one income coming in. That income needs to grow by a lot more or you need to get a pay rise or move jobs to be able to absorb those those increased costs. Whereas if you've got two incomes coming in, maybe a little bit of an increase on both could help. Um, So I definitely think it's very topical at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think about sort of the way that supermarkets give discounts as well, because it's always on buying in bulk, isn't it? It's always on those sort of three for two offers. And if you're buying stuff which is going to go off, if there are two of you eating it, then you can probably make the most of that. But if there's only one of you, then you don't want to buy in bulk so much. So I think just generally, the whole of society seems to be set up to make it cheaper for singles cheaper. I mean, everything from holidays down to, if you think about subscriptions, if there are two of you, you can share a subscription to the likes of Netflix if you're living in the same house. But if there's only one of you, then you've got to shoulder the whole thing. Yeah, but one good tip that I did hear recently, because we're all about offering some solutions as well as just highlighting some of the problems, is that if you're single, then it's a really good idea to buddy up with another single friend. So in the same way that a couple might share those subscriptions, might share that Netflix subscription or Amazon subscription, or even things like National Trust memberships or gym memberships, often they're cheaper if you get a joint membership rather than a single one. Lots of these don't stipulate that you actually have to be in a relationship to share these joint memberships. So a good way of getting around it could be to buddy up with someone else who is single to try and split some of those costs. But I think what we wanted to delve into is not just the day-to-day impact of that, which is huge and we're not ignoring that, but it's the longer-term impact of that. If you've got less money day-to-day, then you're going to be putting away less in your savings. You're going to have a smaller emergency savings pot. You're going to have a smaller pension probably. You're going to be less able to make overpayments on your mortgage, for example, which is obviously very topical at the moment. 
So it's not just the day-to-day impact of being single, it's that longer-term impact that can lead all the way into retirement. So I had a chat with a single lady, Jo Cavey, who is 31 years old, living in Tunbridge, Kent. She works full-time as a customer service manager for a property developer, and she's been single since March. She now lives alone in rented accommodation with her two cats. And I started by asking her how she feels her finances have been impacted since her relationship broke up and she became single. Well, I mean, the the most obvious thing is, of course, having uh, to pay for everything by yourself. So what was then shared, the rent, the council tax, all the bills, etc., now fall solely on myself to make sure they are paid uh, every single month. So uh, that's, you know, the first and foremost, most obvious thing. And then in turn, that leaves you less disposable income to do what you want, whether you want to go out, whether you want to save, etc., etc. Just the bigger purchases sometimes that come, such as holidays or something goes wrong you need to buy a new appliance or whatever it all falls now solely on myself and so how has that impacted you do you think how do you kind of process that and and deal with that well I think I definitely have to be a little bit more careful now um I am somebody that likes to spend money I am somebody that likes to go out on quite sociable likes to go on holidays things like that so it's just made me every single month just really trying to think about okay well what can I afford to go out with what can I afford to put in my savings um you know have I got something coming up the following month which is going to cost me a lot more um you know it's just really now it's on my mind a lot more definitely now I'm single um because yeah it's 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 all on me is there a particular area that maybe surprised you a bit so I guess when um you become single you think okay well my housing costs are going to cost me more or you know council tax is going to cost more there's some of those things that you'd maybe factor in are there some areas where you maybe hadn't realized that you would end up spending more you hadn't really thought about that particular area um I think bills wise it hasn't overly changed that much obviously your council tax um you know you get a single person's discount but it's only 25 25 percent I think it is um so, I mean, there's, there's of course, that. The bills have pretty much stayed the same. You'd think that they'd come down a fair amount all because you're single um, and you're, lo- you're using effectively half of what you were using when you were with somebody, but you don't see that change straight away. You know, you can ring up an energy company and say, hi, I'm single now, but they're not really going to do anything about that. <laughs> and you don't see that in- instantly. Um, I suppose perhaps in a few months down the line, I may well notice that. Um so having to pay those sorts of things hasn't overly changed that much. It's more kind of um, things like like a holiday. So, for example, I know we were, we were speaking before, you know, I'm about to go to Turkey. Um, and it's the things like, okay, well, when you're booking a hotel, you don't really get much discount for being on your own because most rooms are for two people. So now, again, if I want to pay £1,000 or £2,000 or whatever to go on holiday, that's why costs now there's no half and half so things like that are more the kind of surprise thing I'd say yeah definitely and there's like you say there's no kind of discount other than maybe buddying up with a friend and having to share a room with them but yeah but you don't always necessarily want to go to the same places or you you know they've got partners so they might well be you know going with their partner I do have some single friends but you know a lot of people at my age are in relationships um so there is that less you know there's less uh, less of a pool of friends to choose from 
exactly. Um, and then what about longer term? I mean, you talked a bit about you've got less money left at the end of the month and that then has to be split between, you know, socialising, going out, long-term savings. Um, what about the kind of that longer-term impact on your finances from being single? I think that's where you notice it more, if I'm honest, um, because when I was with my partner, I was saving X amount a month in like a cash savings account, whereas now I've had to pretty much half that because the increase in what I'm paying in, in my bills and everything like that. So that's definitely where I notice it more. So less um, less savings, um, definitely. And, you know, even things like recently I've been thinking about, you know, a, a change in career. You know, I think we've still got 40 years left of work and this is definitely what I 100% want to do. Um, and I've been thinking about other options. And it certainly impacts that side of thing because you've got less of a buffer if something were to go wrong or you need to take less money um things like that so longer term it's kind of changed my outlook on things or made me think about it in a different way I guess it was really interesting what Joe had to say about the impact that being single she thought would have on her ability to take the next step in her career to make a decision to you know maybe go and retrain or if she had to take some time out to do some extra studying and the amount that she was bringing into the home went down that she didn't have somebody there to be able to bolster it I mean it's not just having conversations that are really when you are with someone they can help you sort of talk through your ideas and where you want to go but it's also having them as that financial safety net which I think was something which really sort of resonated with us when we got this research. Yeah definitely and I think it's that thing of it seems a bit scarier to take that leap if you don't have that surety of someone else backing you up financially and things like you know being made redundant or losing your job that seems like a much scarier prospect if you don't have another salary um, or another person that could potentially step in and help support you particularly if we think about the fact that that um, lots of single people aren't able to save as much so they don't have that personal buffer as much themselves. Yeah, that emergency cushion, that buffer is something that Andrea Coombs has also really missed. Also 31 years old, she's actually been single for a couple of years, including over the pandemic, and she's self-employed. So this was a big issue for her, and she's really felt the impact of being single on her finances. I actually lived with a partner for three years and I remember it wasn't something I'd ever thought about before but I remember when I moved out feeling like my expenses had literally doubled like I remember when I moved out I suddenly I was like I feel like I've got no income like my savings like it really slowed down the amount I was able to save um now I got a significantly better job with an increased income but I'm still saving less than I was when I was cohabiting um so it definitely makes quite a big difference you were saying that you were saving more when you were with your partner despite the fact that you've now got a better paid job so yeah I guess when you're thinking about long term that that has a huge impact on your ability to add extra to things like pensions and and ices and that kind of stuff absolutely I think 
Um, when you're in a relationship, pensions and ISAs, you can kind of think more long term. But like I was saying, with needing the emergency fund as your backup because you don't have that sort of shared household. Um, whereas now that I'm not cohabiting, all of my focus, well, almost all of it is on kind of building up my emergency fund. Um, so like I do put money into a pension, I do put money into my ISA, but it's um, very much long-term is very much behind um, a kind of short-term saving, like things that I could access more easily. Um, if, you know, like when my washing machine broke last year and like just getting a new washing machine and stuff, just um, unexpected expenses, like when I was ill and I was off work um, and I'm a temporary contractor, so that was like I needed to pay for myself for a month um, without wages. Um, so yeah, I think you just have to focus a lot more on kind of the short term because you don't necessarily have that safety net of um, a dual income household. Do you think that the whole country, in fact, probably the world, is sort of based on the idea that people share their lives with someone that they come as a two or come as a couple and therefore when you're doing anything as a single person it just feels like you're at a disadvantage yeah absolutely i think the assumption is especially when you get to my age into your 30s um the assumption is that you will be kind of settling down into that kind of um married kind of life you have more of a kind of um you're moving up in your career kind of thing your income's progressing like I think there is a lot of expectation around that but I don't think that's the reality for a lot of people now you know a lot of I don't know many women my age now who have children and you know um maybe 30 years ago that would have maybe been bizarre you know I know a couple of my friends who are married but the majority of us are either long-term sort of cohabiting or single um yeah so I think um, there's still that expectation of kind of that traditional sort of family situation, but I don't think that's a reality for younger people now. And putting off having kids until much later or well, making the decision not to have kids. I know lots of women now who make a decision in their mid to late 30s, 40s, that that's yeah. not the way for them. Yeah, I mean... I don't know how I would have children now if I'm being honest like um even with a partner if they were on a similar income to me with the the cost of kind of raising children and needing childcare one of us needing to not work that would be incredibly difficult like I don't think I could make the decision to have a child if I wanted to um at this period so I think mm, I think uh, for a lot of people like financially as well like it's not an option you know although a lot of people now I think increasingly just don't necessarily even want them or don't want that kind of traditional family structure but yeah I think finance has definitely played like a major role in that as well 
And I touched on it before, but it's that long-term impact that our research really focused on because we want to look at the gender investment gap. And while that's large, it's even worse for single women. So if we take pensions, for example, single women on average have just over £29,000 in their in their pension pot, but women who were married or cohabiting had a pension pot of just over £32,000. So you can see in real pounds and pence figures there, the difference of being single versus being married or cohabiting. And some of that you might put down to more single people are likely to be younger, aka they're single before they've met someone else and they might have lower pension savings. But actually, when we broke it down by age range, it occurs across all ages. So it's not just a younger people who've saved less story. No, and single women generally felt less confident that they'd be able to pay off their mortgage by the time they retired. So just 63% felt confident versus 75% of married women or those who were cohabiting. Uh, And that's if they were able to get on the housing ladder at all, because Andrea was telling me that she had actually managed to save up a house deposit while she was with somebody. But she doesn't feel that she's able to buy. She doesn't feel that she's going to ever now be able to afford a mortgage, certainly not while she's single. Yeah, and I think that just taps into the huge issue that so many first-time buyers face, which is if you're not buying with a partner or with you know family, friends, or with some parents' support, that good old bank of mum and dad that helps so many people out, if you're not buying with that and you're trying to just buy on your own with one income and you're not a high earner, it's so tricky and such an uphill struggle for lots of people. Some people have you know teamed up with brothers and sisters or with friends, for example, that's an increasingly common thing. But for other people that don't have that option or maybe don't want to financially tie themselves to a friend for a long time, um, then renting is kind of their only way forward until they've built up a much, much bigger deposit or their income has increased dramatically. And I thought what was really interesting um, for what Andrea had to say was the fact that she felt that she would never be able to have kids because financially she felt that she just wouldn't ever be in the right place in order to be able to afford to do that. And that was fascinating across the board because we know that half of all of those aged 18 to 34, according to our research, say that their decision over how many children to have has been influenced by their finances. And that's compared to just 16% of those aged 65 plus. And the bit that really caught my eye, and Andrea sort of seems to fit into this, is a fifth of people say they're planning not to have children in the future because of financial implications. And and I, I remember thinking before I had my first child, how on earth are we going to be able to afford this? And there just never seemed to be a good time financially to do it. But I think it is with the cost of living crisis, with the cost of getting on the housing ladder, it's just becoming more and more acute. Yeah, and I think that's something that whether you're single or in a couple, you're really feeling is the impact of the financial impact of having children is huge. And I was at brunch yesterday with a few of my friends and that debate around people having a second, third or in some cases, maybe fourth child, depending on what stage they're at now. Um, 
And lots of people said, but the finances of it are insane. And one person whose who's only child has just started school, she said, I just don't know if I can go back in to paying those nursery fees each month and signing myself up to another three, maybe four years of that. Um, so finances, I think, when it comes to children is something that is really factoring into people's decisions, which is quite sad, really, when you think about it. It definitely factored into our decision. I always thought that I would have three kids because my mum had three kids and my husband and I talked about it and we were kind of on the same wavelength there. But after we had our second child, we just we couldn't afford to have another. It just was not financially feasible. And of course, you know, it was around the time of the financial crash as well. And actually, he was made redundant not long after that. So it was absolutely the right decision. And I can't imagine what situation we would have been in if we'd have decided to go for number three just before then he was made redundant. And the other area where single women are really impacted is with their retirement and with their pension. So only a third of single women felt confident that they'd be able to live comfortably in retirement versus 56% of married women. And this is totally understandable. Not only is their ability to save for their pension impacted by being single and the higher costs that come with that, but they're also, if they you know, if they're lifelong single, they're going to face higher costs in retirement as well. So actually, in theory, they need a bigger pension pot because they're going to be paying for things by themselves. Um, And that is more expensive, as we've discussed. But they have this lesser ability to save through their life. So they may end up with a smaller pension pot. Now, all of this, we're talking about averages, there will be some obviously big exceptions out there of high earning single ladies who are doing fabulously well. And great work to them. But on average, it does show a a bit of a tougher picture. And I think in terms of kind of the solutions to this, I think it's about engaging with your finances, about thinking about whether as a single person, you can spare a bit more money to go into your pension, any kind of budgeting areas where you can save money so that you can funnel that into your savings, but also about kind of acknowledging the higher costs and working out ways around it, whether that is sharing subscriptions and memberships with other friends, whether it's thinking about, you know, taking in a lodger or a housemate, if you do own a property to give you a bit of that extra income and share some of the costs. It's about thinking a bit more creatively around how you can boost your finances. I think that idea about sharing things like subscriptions is is absolutely spot on. Um, I mean, I'd not even considered that, but yeah, I mean, it's just such a, a great way of doing it. And although I know certainly for the likes of Netflix now, they're clamping down. If you don't share, if you don't have the same address, then, you know, you can't do it anymore. But there are lots of other things where you could share things. And, you know, even like um, buddying up to, to share the car on the way to work. I mean, that has been something which has been done for years. And, and if you can find a partner to do things with, to split costs with, it just makes sense. For those who listen regularly, you'll know at this point, we normally have a financial confession from our guest. But this episode is a little bit different. Uh, Last episode, I finally shared my financial confession. So Danny, I think it is time for you to share yours. (laughs) You did. And you're not going to like this one. um, Because (laughs) it does relate to having kids. And when I was off on maternity leave with my first child, I hadn't had those conversations with my partner about who was going to pay for what. Um, I was 
obviously getting a whole lot less cash. And I was still paying for everything. And I ran up an absolutely massive credit card bill. I got to a point where I wasn't even able, able to cover that sort of extra bit because, you know, they're, at the time they were charging um, PPI on, on top of it. And that just kept nudging me over every month. So, uh, yeah, I got into a bit of a pickle and uh, really had to sort of sit down with my husband and say, right, <laughs> I'm off. I cannot be paying for half of everything and all the shopping. You have got to step in here. And at that point we did go for a joint account and things became much more straightforward. Um, But yes, I I certainly wasn't practicing what I preached at that point. If only you'd had me in your life at that point. If only. (laughs) Yeah, I say that quite a lot. What would Laura do? (laughs) I am no angel. Having just come back from a holiday where I spent far too much money, even the best laid financial plans can go awry. (laughs) Now, whilst we're talking about maternity leave, finances, plans going awry, um, it leads me fairly neatly into chatting about our next episode, which has a distinctly optimistic tone because our research also discovered that younger women and men felt more optimistic about their future financial journeys. They're having tricky conversations earlier. They're sharing more of the load with their partners. So as well as hearing from one young woman who is so financially sorted out in her 20s, it's a bit scary. We'll also be chatting to a couple of our male AJ Bell colleagues who opted to share parental leave with their partners to talk about that policy and the kind of financial impact of doing that. Yeah, we hope you can join us for that. And don't forget, if you're in the north of England, we've got an in-person event in Leeds on the evening of the 18th of October. Baroness Helena Morrissey will be talking about her incredible life in finance. We'll have a bit of Finance 101 from the wonderful Charlene Young. And we'll also be hearing from our charity partner, SmartWorks, about the incredible work that they're doing. It's totally free, but places are limited. The sign-up link is on the website, which is ajbellmoneymatters.co.uk. And there will also be plenty of mentions on social media and more information there. So do follow us on Instagram, Facebook and X. It still throws me every time you talk about Twitter (laughs) as X. It still throws me. It doesn't feel right, does it? It it doesn't feel right, no. Uh, Thanks all so much for joining us for this episode. Until next time, that is it. But thanks for listening. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.